Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Zakwitz, and I'm excited to be joined today by Bill Connolly, who is the Director of Content Marketing at Olapic. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about visual marketing and earned content. Uh, so welcome, and thanks for being here, Bill. Thank you for having me, Greg. I should probably note that we're on location in Las Vegas, so if uh, we refer to a conference or anything, that's probably what we're referring to at that point. So uh, it's nice and warm here. Uh, so Bill, on top of being a marketer, you are an author of two books and a comedian. Right? Yeah, that's right. So say something funny. Uh, I should have known that that was going to be the first question. <laughs> I should have prepared myself, but uh, but I did not. So unfortunately, I don't have anything funny to share with you. Is that the number one question or thing that people will say? There's to you when- two things. One of which is say something funny. And the other one is after saying anything, saying, oh, watch out, or he'll use that in one of his bits. <laughs> or, you know, like having that sort of, I don't know, fear that I'm going to turn them into a character or turn them into some sort of comedic bit. Those are the two things I hear most often. So in, in radio, and you've done radio before, uh, I did radio way back in the day, but you probably know that the old cliche is, oh, you don't look like you sound. And I always used to say, well, how do I, how do I sound? Yeah, so. yeah. And, and let me just say too, for all of those listening, that Greg has put together quite a, a, a setup here. I mean, we are, we are, recording live from the strip right now. It's right, it's right out there in, in the middle of the people. So I, I just want to commend you on the, on the experience you've put together here. Well, thank you. Once you get through the basement walls here, the strip is right there for you. So it's beautiful. You also live in LA currently. I do, uh, yeah. So what's the best thing about living in LA? Um, I think the weather is the most obvious thing. Uh, I, I think I came from New York and that's where Olympic is headquartered. And I, um, I love New York as well, but I what I what I really appreciate about LA at this point in my life is just the the lifestyle is very much more uh, it's health conscious, it's laid back, it's it's a it's a um, a better work life balance. Uh, not to sound cliche, but uh, but that that is that is true. That's the way I've found it to be. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. That's interesting because you don't often hear about work life balance when you talk about LA because you always hear traffic big city, things like that. And you normally don't hear the work-life balance. So it's really interesting you said that. Well, so the key to living in LA is to live and work close to the same place, right? Because if you have a huge commute, then yes, I understand that that's going to be a problem for you. But I live in Santa Monica. Olympic's located on the west side of LA as well. So I don't really have an extremely long commute. And, um, you know, everything I need is is really right around where I live. So it's, it's, um, it's a pretty comfortable place to be. Very cool. So I wrote down uh, yesterday what I thought you would say about living in L.A. would be the best thing. We were talking off air before this, and and it kind of confirmed that you said it again. But I wrote weather. Weather, yeah. I mean, you knew that was a that was a layup. You set yourself up for success there, <laughs> Greg. I see what you did. That's how we roll. All right. So, Bill, before we get into it today, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about who Olapic is, what they do, and uh, you know why we're talking about the topic with you today. Yeah, sure. So Olapic is a visual marketing company. Um, you know, our our legacy is uh, is that we have an earned what we call an earned content platform, and we define earned content to be user generated consumer images and videos. Um, we help brands to uh, curate, collect the the content that their customers are sharing on on Instagram and other social profiles, and and um, and then curate that, moderate it, get permission to use it. And then activate it in their marketing channels and analyze the performance that it can uh, can can give to their marketing programs. Um, so you know we deploy that content on behalf of our, of our brands to on, on email, of course. Why we're here with with Bronto is one of our great partners um, in the e-commerce experience and display and in, in, um, in social 
of course, you know, we even we do even do print, uh, direct mail, outdoor. Um, we're helping brands at a high level to create more authentic, meaningful touch points with their customers. So why is that so important nowadays versus say 10 years ago? Why is earned content, visual marketing, why are these things so uh, so powerful and, and there's such a need for it in today's world? Well, I think there's a couple of, of things. Um, I think that we're, we're sort of experiencing a convergence of two trends that, that, that makes now you know the, the the recent history and of course the, the the near future and the distant future we hope um, a great time for earned content and for developing more collaborative experiences with your customers that the first trend is is the uh, is the proliferation of of mobile technology and of digital channels and and you know the, the people have at their fingertips an apparatus that can take very high quality uh, imagery and they're capturing different parts of their lives and different experiences that they're having, not just with brands, but in their everyday at a much higher rate. We're seeing that become a, you know, ubiquitous um, experience throughout, throughout society. That's the first thing. The second thing is that customers, they are, they're growing empowered by their ability to engage with one another and they are demanding better experiences. You know, like we, we hear about these trends that for ad blocking and you know I've seen it written that it's the, the like the beginning of the end for advertising which I don't think is true but we we've, we've heard about this stuff and they're demanding better uh, more relevant experiences from brands and so the convergence of those two trends I think is where content really could be helpful and can sit uh, and then the other thing we talk about a lot is is the gap in between content uh, we call it the content crunch where where brands in order to engage across all of these touch points email included they need to create a ton of content and it needs to be high quality, it needs to be personalized. Doing that uh, is in a traditional way, creative way, it's really time intensive, it's really cost intensive. And uh, so if you can employ your customers to help you with that uh, problem, then it can be a much more efficient way of getting it solved. Let's take a step back here just for anyone who's listening and might not be completely aware of what, what earned content is. Can sure. you give us some examples of that? Because w when they see earned content, they may not know you hear visual content they're, and they're automatically thinking, well, we send emails that are visual in nature or we use things on our website that, uh, you know, they're stock hero images or they're, you know, they're brand specific images. So what exactly are you referring to when we talk about this? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the most uh, common misconception or you know, that, that I see in, in my in my work is that people confuse earned content with earned media, right? So earned media being the, when you're getting pressed for a product or for a service or something that you're doing. Earned content, like I said, it's it's user generated, it's consumer content. So an example I would give is I see Greg is wearing a really nice watch right now. Is that a is that a Rolex? I assume. Uh, since no one can see, yes. Yes, the top line Rolex that uh, that that Greg is wearing right now. You know, let's say that Rolex was a, was a brand that we were we were working with hypothetically. Uh, you know, we would say, um, and you as a as an avid user and loyalist, you hashtag a photo of your watch. Maybe it's by the pool. Maybe you're in your home. Whatever, and it's a really cool photo. Uh, that's a, that's an example of earned content because of the person's affinity for the brand. They want to show off that new product that they have. They want to show what it does for their lifestyle, how it fits into their day to day, and uh, and we believe there's a lot of power in that in that um, that interaction with the brand. Not just because it's a you know a loyal customer that's that's displaying that, but that that content itself can be really powerful. Um, so to your point about how people and brands are, are already activating visually. We believe that there's a more authentic, honest visual approach, and that that can be um, achieved when you when you deploy this this earned 
content. We did research last year where we found that that customers um, they trusted customers that we surveyed trusted um, consumer photos from their peers seven times more than advertising. And and so we think that that that's a in a nutshell that that's kind of why there's power behind this. I think people in general, especially. It, probably based on age demographics as well, but we're certainly shifting that way. I think people generally will connect with other people and peers, to your point, more than they do stock models. It's just natural. And, you know, consumers check their phones about 150 times a day. Most of that is probably on social networks in some fashion. So we've got this need or this growing trend toward this visual content, this earned content, using it in email, uh, website, other, you talked about direct mail and things like that as well. Um, and we'll get into that in just a, a minute because I have a question on that. But if I'm a retailer and I've said, hey, we've got this trend, everyone's talking about it. We've got sessions here at the conference we're at that are talking about it. Um, you know, I've got social sites, but I don't really do anything with it. How does a retailer get started in this? Do they do they start just asking people for photos? Do they need to hire a social media manager? Do they use a third party to guide them? Uh, what would you say to a retailer and give advice for them? Yes, I mean it, it really depends on on the who the retailer is, what their what, what their audience wants. I mean, at a very high level, I would say that that retailers should look at where their audience is and and make decisions on how they can organically activate an experience in, in that platform. Um, you know, we talk a lot about taking a content first approach, taking an audience first approach as opposed to a channel first approach. And I think that a lot of times, um, this is my personal opinion. I think that the social media became what the dot-com was in that people know they need to do it, but they didn't necessarily put resources behind doing it properly. So it's like, let's create a, a social profile because we need to on Facebook, but, but, but they don't think of it as a, as a real business driver. Um, and so they didn't, they didn't put a lot of resources behind maintaining it and actually building a great touch point for customers. Um, the other thing that I think is changing is that, that social media, as it became part of the brand experience, it was it was basically like a complaint uh, department, a, a digital complaint department. You go on Twitter and you, you know, you complain that your flight was delayed or whatever, and then the brands would be responsive to that. And I think when we talk about earned content, one of the things that we think is really powerful is when brands can take more of a proactive approach to engaging their customers um, and, and engaging their loyal customers and their and their audiences that are that are looking for that engagement. So whether that's capturing the content whether that's really just being proactive and reaching out to those customers who are are not just complaining, but are showing that they're they're utilizing the product and that they're um, you know they're they're incorporating it into their lifestyle, I think that's a really uh, powerful approach that brands should take. The first thing, if you had to say get started, would be um, whether that's using a third party like Olapic. It's taking a, a directed step in that direction. Um, you know, really making a decision on on where you should be operating and also where you shouldn't be operating because you don't need you don't need a presence everywhere if your audience isn't engaging on all of those channels. You know, so making a decision is, I think, the most important step. There's been a lot of conversation that I've had over the last couple of days with other retailers and industry experts and things like that that talk about, hey, you know, retailers really need to start reaching out to their consumers and asking them things and just to your point, just engaging with them. This is obviously a great way to do that. Do you See, like Facebook Messenger, there's become more and more integration with brands, whether it's transactional type emails that shift over to, you know, shipping updates through Facebook Messenger. Do you see any way to use that as an engagement tool between brands and customers to kind of kickstart engagement or generating, um, you know, acquiring UGC in that point? 
Yeah, I think messaging apps are really hot right now, right? And there's a lot of strategy decisions being made around how to utilize those um, at scale. I think at a high level, what 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 we believe is is a very interesting trend that is going to manifest over the next few years is this idea of frictionless buying and distributed commerce. We're, we're talking a lot more about that in that they're they're gaining inspiration for products and for experiences from a wide variety of channels. And they they might not always be even conscious of where they're going to look for this this inspiration, but when they find it, they really want to shorten the path between inspiration and purchase. And as a result, as uh, you know, we've seen recent developments, uh, you talk about the commerce angle of Instagram shopping, um, Pinterest is using shop to look, there's, there's the, the platforms themselves are realizing this opportunity for, for social commerce and distributed commerce. As that becomes more um, of, a, of a standard in the industry, I think it's going to level set across all of this omni-channel. And so brands are really going to have to be very directed in how they're, they're reaching out and engaging their customers because the customers are, are going to be looking everywhere and they want that experience to be seamless and they want that experience to be consistent no matter where they're interacting with the brand. I'm a retailer and I've got this genius idea and I said, hey, I'm going to go out, I'm going to put on my Facebook or my Instagram feed and I say, yeah, I'm going to ask people to share XYZ with me, their recent sweater purchase, whatever, hashtag it. I'm going to start collecting this content. I'm going to use it in media outreach, whether it's email, website, behavior, somewhere else um, in general. And I ask them to share with me I might get some shares, some people interacting with me, but on a long-term basis, keep that person engaged to constantly share every time they make a purchase or do something lifestyle-ish that relates to the brand uh, itself. What's gonna mo- what do you do to motivate a consumer to consistently engage with you beyond just an initial share or initial post or something like that? Yeah, so it's a good question. I, I think there's a couple of things that need that you need to do. One is that you have to start thinking about the customer experience and the customer journey as a mo- in a more holistic way. Uh, so a lot of people are a lot of retailers. They're probably like, let's get this person to a point of purchase, and we just want to motivate them to purchase. But what they might be leaving on the table is is that once that point of purchase happens, now you have an ability to create an you know a brand loyalist, somebody who becomes evangelical, who wants to help contribute to the next, that cycle of, of buying and potentially depending on your business, might want ancillary related products or might want to buy continuously buy. So, you know, that's the first step. Start thinking about your, your customers in a more, more holistic fashion. Uh, the second step is to make that social experience part of your entire brand experience. So, so one, things that, one of the things that we, we advise a lot of clients is bake your, your hashtag if you want people to start um, sending and sharing photos and sharing the experiences they're having with their don't just send them a hashtag on uh, on instagram put your hashtag on your direct mail put the hashtag on your packaging put your your hashtag if you're a, a resort or something put your hashtag on property and room keys you know see show people that that you're looking for that content and then also see content that you want to see happen you know that you want reflected help them help educate your audience on what the brand aesthetic is, what types of content is going to be useful and what you need from them um, and so that they can they can contribute. If you seen any potential pitfalls or kind of backlash with using UGC in marketing type campaigns. So it, it's one thing to use, hey, that's a nice looking photo, you know, she's smiling, blah, blah, blah. Let's use that and put it that on our website when we're trying to promote this product or we have a, a new sale or something going off. 
Is there any potential danger of using that with individuals? Because they're individuals, right? They're not perfect. They're not doing it as a modeling career necessarily. Uh, you know, that person could get in the trouble two weeks later and this brand has them on their website. It, I know these are, these are kind of outlier situations, but we live in a very shareable world right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. You see any potential pitfalls or, or dangers that retailers should be really, really be worried about from that standpoint? You know, it's an interesting question in that I've never been asked that question before. And I've never, it's never come up in a, in a conversation. And I do think it's, it's, it's something, it's definitely something that's very interesting. I'm sure that maybe it has come up in, in different retailer conversations that members of our team have had. Um, you know, what I would say to that is I think that the, the risk is certainly outweighed by the benefit of, of, and, and, you know, audiences aren't perfect. Individuals aren't perfect. Perhaps there are outlier situations where, where that could occur. But as with any, the way that brands handle these, these issues is far more important than the issues themselves. You know, I read research somewhere that said people are more likely to make a repeat purchase from a company that messed up and fixed it than they are from a company who never messed up in the first place. People, and especially as, as brands become more human, it's about becoming more humanized. It's about becoming more honest, trustworthy, authentic. You sort of have to jump in the deep end. And you have to be willing to co-create alongside your oftentimes imperfect human audiences. Uh, so it, it's an inter interesting question. I'm sure it comes up in, in certain conversations. But I think that the, the benefits of humanizing your brand and opening up yourselves to, um, to the more authentic approach to doing marketing, it, it's, just a, it's just something that isn't only a risk worth taking. In today's economy, we believe firmly that it's, it's something that uh, is paramount to success. So we could look at United Airlines as an example of sure. maybe what not to do when you have those outlier situations. And although they weren't using that content, it's it's a shareable world we're in now, right? So that stuff gets around. And there really was about handling the situation more than anything. It always is. I mean, it, it like I said, it, it, it always is how it's never uh, it's never the first mistake you make. It's, it's always it's like all those cliches. It's always the second mistake that, that does you in or the cover-up's worse than the, you know, than the crime right itself. So that all that stuff applies in, in the brand world too. And, and I think consumer audiences are sophisticated now and they, they know they can see through BS. They want to see a brand that believes or that's, that's trying to do the right thing and that is connected to who they are from a lifestyle and a purpose perspective. And I think that that's more important to them than, than having a perfect depiction. All the time. I mean, it goes back to the, you know, in beauty and fashion, this backlash against Photoshop images and, and people do not want to look at a model that's been Photoshopped and, and made to look unrealistic and unattainable. Um, they want to look at somebody who looks and sounds and, and lives like they do, because that's what that product is going to look like on them. And, and, you know, this is a way of, of enabling that behavior, but it's all part of that bigger idea that we're seeing. So with that, you mentioned before that social commerce is one of these things and, and not so much so social commerce, but social platforms are trying to get into more of a commerce type landscape, right? We want, we want to buy directly through the social sites, but it, for the most part, it's failed to take off. And some of it could be technology. Some of it could just be too far ahead of the curve for where consumer adoption is at right now. Do you see a day where social uh, purchasing directly through social sites will be, become the norm or will that more likely be an integration of a social directly into an e-commerce platform or something else altogether? I think it could it could be potentially a, a combination of the two. Like I said, I think that the commerce experience in general is it's it's leveling out and it's distributing in such a way that that eventually we're going to get to a place where 
people can buy wherever they can get more information wherever they can start their purchase journey uh, wherever wherever they want and they can end it wherever they want and so for brands to succeed they need to be able to enable personalized honest experiences consistently across that that whole spectrum i think one of the reasons it hasn't taken off is is partially because the approach from a technology angle hasn't hasn't been um, executed really well, and I think partially it's it's a consumer behavior thing, right? So I mean, ten years ago, people wouldn't even or fifteen, maybe I don't know, people wouldn't have even felt comfortable putting their credit card on the internet, right? Now, um, now that's not an issue, but maybe there are there are one of the things we see in the nascent stages of this distributed commerce is that it's not always just about shoppable, it's not always just about buying. It's about getting more information. I might not buy a couch off of an Instagram photo, but I might really want to learn more about that couch. Or I might not buy a vacation, but I might really want to learn more about it. So that it's it's about like really diving in and extending that consumer experience wherever you are. I want to learn more information, even if I don't want to buy. I want that ability um, to do so. And and I think that's that's what's really going to happen. How that actually plays out is still left to be seen, but I think that's that's what makes what we do really exciting, especially right now. I think that's one of the points that is often overlooked that we, you know, if you look at industry stats, you're seeing that majority of web traffic or, or site traffic and, uh, you know, email opens, it's happening on mobile devices. Purchases are predominantly happening on desktops and laptops, most likely laptops. The number is shrinking and it's getting closer and, and I think it, it, within a couple of years you'll see mobile probably overtake that. But it's still about 70-30 laptop to, to mobile. To your point though, I think the one thing people always overlook is I might be buying on the laptop but I'm on my phone 150 times a day and I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and I see something whether it's an ad or a shareable thing or a hashtag I'm looking up of that couch that starts the journey but this goes to typical, you know, your old school method of attribution. It doesn't get attribution because it just motivated you. It inspired you to do something else that led to the purchase. And I think that's the one thing where we, you know, social, you've been hearing this for years. I'm sure you've had these conversations uh, from a professional standpoint is, well, we don't really do social because we can't, there's no ROI. And, you know, we all know there there is ROI. It's just a matter of tracking it and figuring out that consumer journey a little bit more. So um, I think it's an often overlooked thing that you're seeing there is, it's the inspiration part of it, and the inspiration is probably not coming from stock models. That's right, and and also I think to your point about attribution, the mobile device is it has transformed the way that consumers shop. It's not just a channel, right? It's foundationally changed the way that people do things. And to your point, even if you're not buying something, I mean, Google has like the I want to buy, I want to go, I want to do moments in the in the con- consumer journey and. And you know, I want to go. I mean, how often are you out to dinner and you are like, where should we grab? I did this the other night. We're in Las Vegas. I don't know the strip very well. I'm like, we need to grab dinner. I look up on my phone and there's some ridiculous stat which I'm going to butcher and make up, which is like, you know, 70% of 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 mobile um, Google Maps searches or location searches or whatever result in a visit or a purchase or something, right? So people are looking for to do things, they're looking up product information. Even while I'm in the store, I might see something I wanna buy and I go to my mobile device and I search for views on it because that's something that I, you know, I wanna I want to have that social approval of, of something. Or, you know, I'll take a photo of something and send it to my friend or my wife and be like, what do you think of this? You know, like that, that experience is just so, that's why I say it's, it's distributing in a way that, um, and, and I don't consciously think about that, but all of those touch points are relevant. All of those touch points are uh, something that should be attributed. 
um, to, to an overall customer experience and, and harnessing that data and figuring out what's important and what's noise, that's a, that's a huge challenge for brands. I'm gonna go back to something you talked about about 10 minutes ago, and you mentioned direct mail and Olapic helps with direct mail as well. Um, I, I personally have been getting more and more direct mail in my mailbox, but I find myself responding to it more than I ever have before. I used sure. to just chuck it, and now I'm actually looking to see what it is. I still may chuck it. I may save it. If it's total wine, maybe I'll save it. I love direct mail. I don't know. That's not really, that's not our primary business, but I kind of love it because direct mail, I think I know what your question is. Why is that happening? Um, yeah, because we're in such a digital age now where sure. we're talking about phones and everyone knows they're on there. They're probably on their phone. I mean, they're, they may listen to this. I've been texting this whole interview. Yeah, it's been very awkward. <laughs> why are we seeing this emergence of non-digital marketing happen again it's interesting right it's like anything where the pendulum has swung so far in the favor of digital and email that people that are doing direct mail really well can stand out because it's like you don't get it you bring getting more but it's still comparative to how many emails you get it's not even close now of course on the the cost to do so is more and and the time it might take to to think through some of those activations is more but i think brands are really challenging to are really being challenged to stand out in an increasingly competitive marketplace, what can you do to just be memorable? It's like a, any human interaction, right? The way that you and I want to leave an interaction is that you, I want you to remember me in a positive way. And a brand is, is very much the same way. When you interact with a brand, the brand wants you to leave and remember them. So I think in a direct mail piece, I'm going to remember that if it's done well. But it also goes back to that entire experience being important. Because if you send me a great direct mail piece, but then I go to your website and the website sucks, or I go to, I go then go to a store to buy something and the experience is terrible and the staff isn't nice to me and, and that kind of thing, then, I, then that, that initial touch point being really good and strong is kind of lost in, the, in, you know, in, in that mix. So we have, we have customers that we work with that are taking their customer photos, for example, and they're deploying them on direct mail. They're deploying them in store. You, know, you can go and you can get an authentic rep representation of who people are. We've done billboards, but you also have to have all of those things working in tandem with one another. You can't just have one really good activation or you might generate a lot of initial interest, but you're not going to continue that relationship with the, with the customer properly. Before we get close to wrapping up here, uh, well, before we wrap up, we're getting close to wrapping up, but voice search is one of these things where it's becoming a, a pretty big topic of conversation. And we're moving, I don't think in a full scale uh, way, but we're moving into a partial way of browserless commerce, right? Or browserless experiences. So, hey, find me a local Italian restaurant, if, right? And it's using your location to find you something here on the strip. How is that going to change, if it will, because of the emergence of more voice-activated searching and purchasing? Yeah, so, so it's interesting you, you bring that up. There's a couple of things. One, um, you know, we interviewed somebody from, from a brand, uh, I believe it was Laura Geller, a beauty brand that, um, that was talking about this sort of change in how technology is going to uh, dilute and erode brand equity. And what I mean by that is, um, as those experiences, browserless experiences and with, with in-home devices, I might no longer consciously go out and buy bounty paper towels. I might just say, hey, Alexa, order more paper towels. And over time, you know, the, the differentiation of a brand is becomes more difficult. So from a brand perspective, you know, to go back to what we were talking about earlier with, with ad block technology, for example, and people freak out and they say advertising is dead. 
No, it's that consumers are demanding better, more relevant, more personalized experiences from the brands that they choose to shop with. And the brands that will succeed now and into the future are the ones that can enable those experiences with more authentic, honest content and, and messaging. And we believe that earned content, we've seen it in market with the, you know, we work with hundreds of clients and we see this time and again, that, that when they can uh, utilize their own customer content and they can co-create collaborative experiences with their customers, they're going to achieve that at scale because they're going to, the, the whole brand message, it's not just about the product, but it's about what that product means and what the company means to that person. And they're going to, it's just going to be more powerful in their mind. You know, we think that that's not, not something that's going to, to go away, but in an increasingly digital and increasingly competitive marketplace, it's something that's going to be a big challenge for brands and the ones that do it well are going to reap the benefits and the ones that don't are going to really struggle to succeed. With what Olapec does, um, what kind of content do you guys focus on helping clients acquire? Is it just general uh, photos of, of UGC or do you guys cover a larger gamut of what you try to do and then shape that strategy with the clients? Why don't you tell us a little bit more about specifically um, how Olapec can certainly help um, retailers and what type of things you work with clients on? It really depends on the client, depends on the vertical, depends on their specific audience, depends on what product you know, skew they're looking to, to help promote depends on a number of things. I would say that we are, we're really adept at, at helping the, the brand to, to go through all of the content that's already being uh, created and glean insights from that. And then to use that content to inform a future strategy or to help guide in the case where maybe their, their audience isn't creating a lot or they're not creating the type of content that they want, you know, to help them guide that audience, you know, to do so. One of the things that I think is really interesting that we do is, and this isn't the ROI play is maybe how we talk about it a lot, right? Because we can track what kind of um, revenue is being influenced by the by the imagery that that we're using in the e-commerce experience. That's that's a great selling point for us. But one of the things as a content guy, right? I'm not I'm not a salesperson. As a content guy, one of the things that gets me really amped up about Olympic is that our, the ability for our clients to use it as an insights engine for their customers. Uh, what I mean by that is a brand might think that they know what their customers are doing and how they think about the brand and how they utilize the products. And then they might look at the customer photos and they might find trends that that blow up that theory or that at least um, uh, change it a little bit. We find that, you know, wow, the images that tend to perform for this brand A are ones where there's a dog sitting on the couch or, you know, uh, where they're, they're they have a jacket on outside versus inside you know some of those some of those kind of random little seemingly random little things can help form your content strategy we did a, a study last summer where we where we analyzed 2,000 traveler photos to learn what were the motivations behind people who were traveling what were they what were they what would make them share content and then we you know, help our travel clients you know utilize those to to generate more info uh, more insights and more more content and one of the things, just as an example, that I thought was really compelling was uh, a primary motivation was the idea of discovery. And the concept being that when people felt like they were discovering an, a hidden, off-beaten-path place, they were more apt to share it to their audiences on Instagram because they felt like they were it was like something cool that they were uncovering. So if you're in France, for example, it might not be the Eiffel Tower that they want to share. It might be little hidden cafe, you know, in the back of an alleyway that's really cool and cute. Um, 
that kind of stuff I get really amped up about working on. And I think our customer teams do as well. We're helping brands learn from their customers and then utilize that in their whole customer strategy. That's really interesting. I, I appreciate the insights into that as well. So it's one of the things where right, I think you're absolutely right. People like to share uniqueness about them because there's a lot of sim it's like best practices in email if everyone does the best practice then it's just uniform across the board right and then you've got to have new best practices to do things it's the same thing with content i've got to believe in some situations as well if everyone's sharing the same photos or they're checking into the same place and then you go to the better place you know it's the better comedy club i'm always at the better comedy club greg trying to get tips yeah <laughs> it, it puts you into this level of uniqueness in a place where social media has so much of the sameness right we've got 20 things your kids did today we've got 20 things that uh recipes you'll cook today we've got 20 memes that are talking about things the united airline memes are great though it gives you that uniqueness and i think from the consumer side the uniqueness must be one of those things that probably wants you to keep coming that motivates you to keep coming back and sharing content there um versus anything else i don't know if that's just a ramble i made or no, no no i think it makes sense i think there's uh companies especially as there's third party vendors, you know, retailers and, and e-commerce sites. And there's, um, there's a million different places that I can choose to buy anything that I want to buy. It's really a, a challenge for brands to keep people on their own owned experience. Right. So I mean, even if I'm going to book a flight and I use, I book on JetBlue quite a bit personally, I, I try to fly them a lot. I might not even go on JetBlue.com all the time to book. I might book it on Expedia. I might book it on a third-party site if they give me a better experience. So what can JetBlue or what can Expedia even, what can they provide to keep me on site and to also make me confident in the in the, the messaging that I'm, that I'm seeing there? Um, what can make me come back to a site to learn more, to see more, to gain inspiration? I might use, my wife uses Pinterest all the time. She has like 80,000 tabs open on Pinterest at all points, looking up inspiration for stuff. Uh, what what could a site do, like a brand, what could a brand do to capture that type of experience on their owned platform so that, you know, her or I or anyone want to go there for inspiration? That's the type of thing that, that, that brands need to do. And I'm a firm believer that, that people are always the same. Technology doesn't change people. Technology changes the way that we can do things, but but people are still always the same. And so we want, as customers, as people, we want to feel wanted. We want to feel like we're part of something bigger. We want to feel like what the decisions we're making are, are strong and that um, we're connected to a brand in a, in, a, in a cool way. We want to feel like maybe we're a little bit ahead of the curve. So what can a brand do on social and elsewhere to enable that experience? That's really where I think you'll start to differentiate where brands can really um, step up against competition because if you can keep the eyeballs there, you can keep them coming back, you're going to see results, not just in revenue, but engagement and loyalty, content creation, all of those great things that make for, for the long-term success of a brand. What's the biggest misconception or if not a misconception, the main takeaway you want someone listening today to think about earned content and how visual uh, media impacts uh, marketing initiatives. Yeah, so I think visual content and, and at Olapic, we're doing a lot of, of new types of activations with with content. We're taking still images, we're turning them into to dynamic animations, and we're we're thinking through constantly. We, we're we're very fortunate because we have some brilliant founders who are constantly thinking through this. Uh, what the future looks like. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is is maybe not a misconception, but maybe just um, you know something that that we hear a lot is. 
is that, um, you know, that, that it's overwhelming, you know, to think about this and to activate this. I think that there is enormous power or, or that they don't want to give up um, the, the control of the brand, right? There's enormous power in activating your customer communities to become a collaborator in your marketing experience and in your brand story, to, to make stories, not just tell them. Um, with your customers and and to share those with new audiences and with new prospects and all that kind of stuff. I think there's enormous power in that and it doesn't need to be an overwhelming uh, problem to solve. You know, you can take directed steps to evolve your brand towards a place where you're more socially and digitally native and where you're creating with an audience first instead of a channel first type of a strategy. Um, that's what I think the main takeaway would be. And that's what I would want listeners to, to, to know is that um, even if you're a big legacy company that hasn't been digitally native, uh, you can take you can you can change the narrative of your story to be or of your brand to be more customer facing, more authentic, more honest. And you can you can realize some pretty incredible results. Fantastic insight. So thanks so much, Bill. Um, I do have one question for you before we get out of here. It's going to be game show. What do I win? Bragging rights. Okay. Maybe maybe over time we'll, we'll come up with something. We'll ship it to you. OK, uh, ship it to you. I'll leave my address. We'll see how good you are at this first. Unlikely I'll win, so I'm not that concerned about the prize. All right, you've, you've got 15 seconds okay. uh, on go. I want you to name as many fish as you can in 15 seconds. Gosh, okay. All right, go. Flounder, sculpin, bass, uh, trout, cod, uh, salmon, uh, uh, minnow, uh, shark. I'll give you, I'll give you sharp sculpin? What the heck is a sculpin? Uh, actually, I'm not sure if it's an actual fish. The reason it came into my head is because my friend was having a red sculpin IPA beer the other day. <laughs> and, and on the can, there was a fish. So I think it's a real fish. But look, you can. How did I do? How, how am I comparative yeah. to other? You know, it, it was the first one that you said. So it wasn't goldfish, it was sculpin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so even if it's a fictitious a dragon i'm gonna give you credit for it uh so you did eight okay i've been doing these interviews and and timing people on this so the average is six almost everyone hits six for some reason okay. which is really fascinating nine is is the the number to beat yeah. right now so you're in second place oh gosh okay i you know and i also i only got the last three seconds i was watching your clock i only got one in the last three seconds i could have done it i could have beat it so surprisingly this goes in the i don't know human behavior or psychology or whatever but um i've been doing this when i worked in radio a long time ago i would do the same thing 15 seconds for interview or 15 uh or fish in 15 seconds you'll be amazed at how few people say goldfish it's the first thing i think of oh yeah yeah i didn't say it i think bigger I'm a big thinker, Greg. That's what it's all about. I go sculpting right out the gate. <laughs> uh, Bill, so thanks so much for your time today. Everyone, Bill Connolly, Director of Content Marketing at Olapic. Feel free to reach out to them with any needs you may have. Uh, thanks again, Bill. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast. We'll be back on our next episode with more uh, great insights and uh, quirky sense of humor for me.